Amen. If we'll make our way back to our seats today, so excited to be in the house of the Lord. And amen. And I understand, amen, that we are in an amazing time in our church at Lighthouse Tabernacle. And, and I felt it was so timely. We just had our five-year anniversary last weekend. And we are in a time of transition. Amen. And and been maybe a little while since we had last connected. We do connect quite a bit each year. And and uh, but our guest speaker today, Amen, is the director of multicultural ministries for the United Pentecostal Church. Amen. And we used to work on a national or North American youth board together for many years. Amen. And he's a dear friend. And I mean, I believe he has a word from the Lord for this church. And so as he gets ready to come, amen, I want to encourage us to open our hearts. And before he comes, why don't we stand to our feet today? Amen. And he's going to minister to us. And let's just be open, amen, to what God wants to do. Amen. And can we just pray? Amen. And we're going to lift our hands and we're, we're going to, I feel that vein today that God is wanting to lead us into his greater We've got to leave the ordinary and the mundane behind, amen, and understand that God is going to give us everything we need to become the greater that he wants us to become, amen. As Reverend Brock Chavis comes, amen, can we lift our hands up to the Lord and just begin to pray right now and ask God to help us embrace, amen, and propel it to our greater Lord right now in the name of leading us, Lord, Lord, to your greater, your eternal purpose, Lord, open our hearts to help us to receive your word, Lord, and we give you thanks and praise, Lord Jesus, Lord God, that we would be transformed by the power of your word and by your spirit and we give you thanks in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's clap our hands unto the Lord. And let's give Reverend Brock Chavis a warm lighthouse welcome. We're glad he's here today. Glad you're here at Lighthouse. Love you, brother. Amen. Praise the Lord, everybody. Amen. Why don't you keep clapping, but don't do it for me. Let's clap to the Lord. Hallelujah. Let's give him praise for another few moments right now. Hallelujah. And while you're clapping, would you lift your voice and just shout to him? Because he's so worthy today. Praise God. It's such an honor to be here with the Lighthouse family and with my good friends, brother and sister Ford. We were talking last night over dinner, and uh, we had sat there and talked, and we had ate a lot of good food. And I think uh, at some point I, I said, you know, Ed, how long have we been friends now? And I think we recalled that we've been friends now a little over 10 years. And uh, I look back on those years with much thankfulness to God that uh, we became friends with the Fords. And uh, these are such great people. I know you love your pastor, so I don't have to say a whole lot of, uh, of things on that regard. But I'll tell you that as a friend of theirs, uh, we admire them so much for what they've done to follow the call of God to come to this community and plant a church. And I remember when this church was just a glimmer of a dream in their minds. And I, I remember when they just first started talking about this. And I remember one night spending the night in their home, and uh, we stood there in the kitchen with cups of coffee, and we, we talked about what they felt like God wanted to do. And today we're standing in it. And I said that to say this. 
in this season right now while your pastor is sharing vision for the future, you might as well get on board because we're here today because of a vision. And so we've got a proven record that God wants to honor that vision. And I believe the best is so much more to come. The best is yet to come. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Brother Ford mentioned that I serve the United Pentecostal Church as the director of multicultural missions. It's a multicultural and of course, some of you thinking, okay, we got another white guy in charge of multicultural stuff. <laughs> yeah, I'm just a little bit direct and real, so. <laughs> but I'll tell you this, uh, I'm one of those people that you can't judge the book by the cover. Looks are quite deceiving. I'm, in fact, I'm half-breed. I'm a Native American. I'm registered with the Lumbee tribe in North Carolina. And... Uh, I grew up in a church. It's kind of funny. All my dad's family is Native American Indians, really dark-skinned Native. Uh, my mother's family is all Caucasian, very fair-skinned. And the church we took when it was very small and pastored, we had this huge revival of African American people. So I'm saying like 85% of a very large church is African American. I grew up uh, kind of separated from white folks. <laughs> Uh, the only white folks I knew were in my own family. And so you can't judge a book by its cover. Amen. <laughs> but God has done so many things throughout my life and to, to bring me to this point. And I can only look back and say it must have been God. You know, it, it had to be God that chose for me to be in this family and to be raised in this environment. And uh, we're thankful for what God is doing in multicultural ministries. I had a quick PowerPoint. I don't know if they've got it there quite yet. But what we do, and, and I'll let you be seated in just a moment, they, we, we prepare ministries into cultures that are coming to North America. On the next slide, you can see the list of ministries that we have. There's about 21 different ministries that we're endeavoring to work with. These are all ministries that we've started. And we have 16 ministries that are focused on specific cultural groups that have immigrated or are coming to North America. So we try to raise up, start conferences and gather people together and network among the fellowship, find a way to get across cultural barriers, find to get away right. ac across uh, language barriers so that people can be reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we have uh, three other ministries that are specific cultural needs, such as deaf. Uh, we have 38 million deaf people in North America. And so deaf evangelism for the United Pentecostal Church is something that we are investing in, and it's a powerful thing that's happened there. Just a couple of weeks ago, I was in our national deaf conference. We had 11 deaf people receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, and it's just so powerful. Amen. We, uh, we also have a ministry that's really getting off the ground right now. It's called RISEN, which is Refugee and International Student Ministry. And uh, what we do is we try to connect with refugees that are coming into North America and reach them with the gospel yes. by helping them get status and get, get uh, situated here in North America and then connecting with international students as well. And we try to connect with them in the university towns to make sure that they have a church to go to, people that will love them and open their selves, their hearts and their homes up to them. And we're seeing God do great things with that. And another exciting thing we have is the United Nations ministry. Amen. And uh, God has just really blessed us. And one of our 
pastors with the United Pentecostal Church, has been given the title as the uh, Goodwill Ambassador to the United Nations. He's, he's the pastor at the United Nations, and he's a licensed minister just like your pastor here. In fact, Brother Ford and I, next month, we're both going to be a part of a tour at the United Nations, and we're going to go into places where you just can't go. You know, anybody can go to the United Nations and go to the gift shop, but we're going to the 27th floor. We're going, we have an ongoing Bible study there, and over the past four or five years, we've seen 35 people that work in that building receive the gift of the Holy Ghost and baptize in Jesus' name. And uh, just a blessing to see what God is doing with that. We also have some resource ministries on the next slide. Uh, I saw that... Um, you guys are doing All Nation Sunday, and I'm really excited about that because All Nation Sunday is what is one of our initiatives with uh, multicultural ministries. And all over North America throughout the month of October, churches are going to be doing events like you're doing here. And it's just basically meant to just to highlight, you know, the diversity of the United Pentecostal Church, the inclusivity of the United Pentecostal Church, and let people know who we are. Amen. This is a, a new logo for our Global Tracks website. If you've never heard of this, check this website out. This is a place where we upload hundreds and hundreds of documents that are soul-winning tools in various languages. So we've got tracks and Bible studies and now even video components that are being loaded to this site in about 64 different languages and growing. Amen. This website's getting ready over the next month and a half to do a complete overhaul. But right now, we have somewhere in the neighborhood of 3,800 unique guests that come to that site every month, and they're downloading material to learn about Jesus yes. in their own language. Amen. Amen. If you've got a friend right now, you're trying to tell about the Lord, and, and you're trying to connect with them, and there's a tough language barrier, visit this website and let it help you. Cross that divide and reach them. And finally, and I'll say this, the last slide, we have an awesome missionary program that's right here. A lot of times when we think missions, we think the global field. We think overseas. We think foreign land. But the, the, the Lord is bringing the whole world to North America. All these cultures are here. And what's happening nowadays is people are coming and they're maintaining their identity from the origin or the country they're from. They're not assimilating into American culture as quickly as they used to. Right. And so we are raising up missionaries that can partner with local pastors and help them start a daughter work or a preaching point Amen. or assimilate groups of people that have maybe very strong language and cultural barriers and uh, to have what we have here today. People from all walks of life and all cultures. And this, this uh, program over the past nine years, uh, we've started 72 daughter works throughout this program. And it's just really powerful what God is doing. And I'm honored to serve and I'm honored to partner with people like the Fords and this church. And we love you. We're so thankful for what God's doing here in West Hartford. Can we give the Lord just one more big round of applause? Amen, amen. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I'm going to let you be seated, and before I preach today, I want to sing, if that's all right. This song talks about the blood of Jesus. It talks about forgiveness, and I'm thankful for what God has done in my life today. Would you worship with me as I sing?
that may not be working. Is this, this mic over here? Was this mic turned on? There we go. I'm a mess today cause yesterday I followed the desire of my foolish heart into the dark feeling far away need a couple days to work real hard to hit the mark to get myself back in good with you what a waste what a losing game cause that's what the blood is for to clean this dirty man I am and make it possible to stand before you Lord that's what the blood is for it's what his blood is for What if I fall one more time or soon forget that you're the light where I am free in perfect peace? What if I can't get my act together? That's what the blood is for. dirty man I am make it possible to stand before you Lord that's what the blood is for his blood it compels me oh yes it's the power for my victory and his blood says he loves me thankful today for the blood of Jesus. We've been redeemed by his blood today.
what his blood is for. Whoa, that's what his blood is for. Oh, can we rise and thank him for his sacrifice today? Can we thank him for his blood? Hallelujah, hallelujah. The old song said, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I'm so thankful for what God is doing in our lives today. And I want to speak to you from the book of John. John chapter 4, I'll begin in verse 5. The scripture says, Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of the ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. I think it's interesting in this setting to understand that this place where he's talking about is very significant in history. It says, Now Jacob's well was there. This is a well that was built literally some 2,000 years before this moment. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. And over the next few verses of this chapter, we find a record of the conversation that takes place from this woman and Jesus Christ. But in verse 28, it reads that the woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith to the men there, Come see a man which told me all things that I ever did. Is not this the Christ? Amen. In Luke chapter 15, we find a story of a father who had a son who left and rebelled and went away and wasted everything he was given. And the Bible says that when that son came to himself, he arose and he said, I'm going to go home to my father. And no doubt there was much thought in his mind about what that would be, but the Bible says in Luke 15 and verse number 20, he arose and came to his father but when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. His father saw him and had compassion. I want to speak to us today from the words that this woman of John 4 said to the men of Sychar. She said, come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. He knows me but he still loves me. Can we lift our hands and let's pray right now. Lord Jesus, would you speak to us right now by the authority of your word, by the power of your name, Jesus. I pray that you would just settle on every soul that's here in this sanctuary right now and begin to speak to us, begin to reveal your love and your compassion towards us, God. We've all at some point been like that prodigal away from you and separated. But right now, God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. Minister to us, Lord, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you today. You can be seated.
Let's clap our hands to the Lord while we're doing that. Amen. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. I've been blessed in my life to have a great father. And uh, I know that most of you don't know my father or would know very little about him. But I'd like to tell you a little bit about my father today that God has blessed me with. And he's a pretty well-known person in the part of the country that we, we live in down in North Carolina. And people who know him... People who are aware of him, there are things that they know about him. It's common public knowledge. He's, he's a preacher. He's a pastor. He is a, a singer and cut a few albums back in the 80s. He and my mother, he's a, he's a very good musician. He's a professional musician with albums that have been produced. And he's, he's a, he likes to play golf. And uh, he, uh, about 10 years ago, decided that, uh, he would like to fly an airplane, so he went and took lessons for a couple of years, and he became a pilot. And for uh, until he got a little bit older, he would he would go a couple times a week and just fly in an airplane. He just he's just an incredible person with incredible passion and character, and he can he just whatever he sets his mind to do, he does it. And just re- this last spring, he. He had a little piece of property there near our church, and he has about 15 acres. And he said, in his mind, he said, I, I, I think we need to have a place for people to play baseball at the church to get together. So he goes out and he buys a tractor, and he knocks down a bunch of trees, and he clears a big field. And if you go there today, I mean, just a few months later, he's got a baseball field in his backyard because he's just, he's just an incredible, incredible guy that just whatever he puts his mind to do, he can do it. And as I said, there's people who really know him. They know a lot about him. But there is a feature of his character that most people will never have the opportunity to discover, and that is the things that he knows about me. Because in everything about him that's public information, there are things that he knows about me that no one really knows. For instance, he, he happened to walk up behind me when I was a, a young boy just as I shot the windows out of the church school bus with my BB gun. It was one of those moments that there was no lying, there was no negotiating. I was still pointing my air rifle at the window of the church bus when I heard the twig snap behind me. No way out of it. He knows that about me, and a lot of people didn't know that. He, he knows that I convinced a, my brothers and a couple of my cousins to the neighbor's driveway, had a long asphalt driveway, and for whatever reason, they had upset me about something, and he knows that I convinced my brothers and my cousins to put glass all the way across the driveway and throw sand down over it, so no one could really notice, notice it was there. And four flat tires later, the neighbor is knocking on the door. That's something about him that, that he knows that not everybody else knows. And those are just some maybe humorous things to look back on in my life. But without explanation, I want to tell you that he knows 
the aftermath of discovering the biggest failures of my life. The things that he discovered that were failures in me. Things that came out that I'd be embarrassed to even share with you here today. He knows all that. But he continued to invest in me and he continued to love me even though he knows that I've been a failure. Not everybody was blessed with a father like mine. And as much as I cannot offer you a physical father today, I can certainly offer you the knowledge that we all have a heavenly father today. A heavenly father who created us and one who loves us and one who breathed the breath of life into us, who has chosen us. The Bible says that our father has every hair on our head numbered. Hallelujah. It's not just that he knows how many hairs are upon our head, but he knows them all one by one. He knows us just that much. His eye is on the sparrow, the word says, and we know that the Lord, our father, is watching us. We, We know from the study of the word that he allowed himself to be touched by the same feelings of the word in the Bible uses of feelings of infirmity. He's been touched by the things that bother us, the things that affect us, the things that hurt us. He allowed himself to feel all of those things and he's been tempted in all the ways that we've been tempted and he's been he's been touched with the feeling of our infirmity. We have a father who who made us, who breathed life into us, who created us and he knows us and he knows everything about us. In Matthew 5, in three places, it's identifying God as our Father in heaven. In Matthew 6, it says, in verse 8, your Father knows what things you have need of. In Matthew 6 and 14, it says, if you will forgive, your Father will forgive you. Hallelujah. In 26, it says, behold the fowls of the birds of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap. They don't gather anything into barns, but your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much better than they are? The word is saying to us today, look at these. Everything is taken care of them because God wills it. Don't you know that he loves you? Don't you know that he he understands you? Don't you know that he cares about you today? Hallelujah. In the book of Luke, the writer, he he shares with, with us a thought, and he says, look at us. Look at us in our humanity. We being evil, meaning that, that we can be corrupted, that we can make bad decisions, that we can make bad choices. He said, you know how to give good gifts unto your children. And we're just simple mistake-making humans. He says, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the gift of the Holy Spirit to them that would ask? Hallelujah. If we know how to remember birthdays and special occasions for our kids, don't you know how much more that God knows us and wants to bless us and, and wants to give unto us today? Hallelujah. In Romans 8, the, the Bible says, you've not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption. I used to think I understood this chapter or this verse until last year we had an opportunity to adopt another child. We already had four kids and my youngest child was only one year old. It didn't seem like it was the smartest or most opportune thing to do at the time. But we went throughout the process and God bless us and has been helping us and 
we've adopted a baby boy. And this baby, he was born at the hospital. We were there when he was born. And when he left the hospital, he went home with us. And I noticed very early on that this, there's something different about him. He, he doesn't look like my other four kids when they were this size. And there were mannerisms and features about him that were different. But there was something about our love toward him because we chose him. We already knew that we didn't know who his father was. We already knew that his, his uh, genetics and his DNA was, was going to be different than my wife and, and ours. We already knew he, he probably wasn't going to look like us. And, you know, he might be taller or, or shorter than my other kids. And his skin might be darker or lighter than my other kids. And, and there are so many things about him that are going to be different. And his genetics are different. But we made a decision. And we said, that baby is going to be ours. And we're going to love it. And we're going to take care of him. And we're going to raise him. And he's going to be a part of our family. And I wish I had Judah Gray here with me today. He's walking now. And he's, he's starting to try to say some words. And his first words that he ever began to really say, which my wife will dispute, was dad, 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 dad. And I want to tell you, there's something about that. There's a spirit of adoption. And we got to understand that today because that's how the Lord sees us. He knows everything about us and he still loves us. Hallelujah. Just like my dad, he knows me, but he still loves me. I've come to tell somebody here today, God knows everything that you've ever done, every mistake that you've ever made, every failure that you ever had, but he still loves you and he still wants you and he still wants a relationship with you. Can we just thank God for that right now? That he knows me. He knows me, but he still loves me. Amen. We consider the story of the prodigal son in the book of Luke, and we find that this, this younger son, he's, he's, uh, he's left his father. And we often talk about the, the story of the prodigal in Scripture, but it's important to note that this is just the third in three stories that Jesus tells, and he's telling the story because he is being ridiculed for spending time with non-believers. We always overlook that in the scripture of Luke 15. The very reason Jesus tells a story about a lost sheep and a lost coin and a lost boy is because religious people said, why are you spending time with sinners? And he says, well, let me tell you a story. A man had a hundred sheep, and one of them wandered off. But he, he put the 99 in a protected place, and he went out and he searched high and low till he found it. And when he found that lost sheep, he brought it back, and they had a great celebration. They were so excited because that lost one had been returned. And then he went on to say a woman had ten coins, and she lost one. And she turned her whole house upside down. She, she did everything that she could do to find that, that lost coin. You know, the man that lost a sheep, he only lost 1%. The woman who lost a coin, she lost 10%. And when she found it, she did the same thing as the guy who had the sheep did. She threw a big party, invited all her friends over, and they had a celebration yes. because the lost thing had been found. Amen. Right. Praise God. 
But then he starts telling a story that's more right where they live, and it's, it's more real life, and he begins to expand on this third story a lot more. You know, the, the first two stories found themselves in one or two scriptures, but this story of the prodigal son that most people know and understand, it goes on over scripture after scripture after scripture of detail because he's talking about real life. And he starts out by saying a man had two sons. Not 1%, not 10%, but 50%. If you have two and you lose one, you've lost half. And this younger son, for whatever reason, he, he decides to request his inheritance early and he, he goes and he moves himself away. He transplants, goes to a far country, and he begins to spend that money and have parties and, and just live an immoral lifestyle. And he's just spreading that money into all kinds of things. And, and as you would guess, there's all kinds of people around. He's got friends from everywhere. He's popular. He's a celebrity. And everything's exciting till the money runs out because when the money runs out, the friends go and everybody yeah. leaves and he finds himself alone. He finds himself separated and he begins to sink lower he begins to to reduce as a human being he he begins to lose his dignity he begins to lose his own self-respect and he he draws himself so low to the point with this lifestyle that he finds himself literally living in pigs homes he's in the pen with the pigs and you know when you first read that story or heard that story you thought yeah that's nasty but let me tell you, he was a Hebrew. And they were commanded not to even touch the swine. They didn't eat it, and they didn't even touch it. They considered it an unclean animal. And here he is. Sin and failure has taken him so low that he's not only living in the same house with the pigs, He's now transgressing his own traditional upbringing. And now he's beginning to eat what they eat. I don't know if you ever had much experience with a pig, but let me just tell you, a pig will eat anything. I spent a lot of hours out in North Carolina hunting those pigs. A pig will eat anything you put out. It's a nasty human being. It's a nasty being. You know, I'm part pig already because I've eaten a lot of bacon in my life. <laughs> He has come to the point where he is now lost his dignity, his self-respect. He's lost his citizenship. He's become a slave. My granddad used to say, Brock, he said, sin will take you farther than you ever want to go, keep you longer than you ever wanted to stay, and it will cost you more than you ever wanted to pay. Amen. Something happens in this young man, and he, he decides, I'm going to go home. The Bible says he came to himself. It's almost like he said, you know what? I got to get out of here. <clears throat> and he says, I'm going to go home. He said, because even my father's servants, they're doing better than this. And he begins to walk home. And, and you got to imagine, you know, what do you look like when you've been living in a pig with pens or in a, in a pen with pigs? What do you smell like when you've been sleeping around these hogs? They're disgusting. When I used to hunt pigs in North Carolina, and I'll do that again one day. When we would kill them, we'd hang them up, and before we did anything else, we'd bring out the water hose, and we'd just spray them for like 15 minutes because they stunk, and they were just nasty. 
and of just mud and dirt and grime. Can you imagine living? What did he look like? What did he smell like? What, what was his appearance like? And he's just walking home. He's saying, I hope that when I get home, maybe my dad will just hire me maybe to work somewhere behind the scenes. But as he's walking home, and I don't know how many days it took. It may have taken weeks. I don't know how long it took him to get there. But even before he gets home, he finds out on the highway, there's somebody looking. And there's somebody waiting. You see, I believe, and I'm not trying to add anything to the text, but I believe, I believe today that the, the first week that that boy was gone from home, I believe the father stood on that porch of that house, and he just kind of paced back and forth. And he said, man, I just, I pray my son will come home. I know he's made mistakes and he's, he's disrespected me and he's failed me, but I just want him to come home. I think after a couple of weeks went by, he starts walking down the little lane that goes out to the, to the gate of the fence of the outer yard. And he stands there and leans over it and looks down the road. I believe maybe a couple of weeks goes by and he's just looking down the road. I wonder... Lord, I just pray my son will God. I hope he'll come home. I hope my son will come home. I believe as time went by, I think he started saying, you know what, I think I'll, I think I'll take a little walk down this road. And he'd start walking and walk a little while and just look and see, is there somebody coming? There's somebody coming down this road. Maybe he said, if I can just get down to where that road turns and I can't see any farther, let me walk all the way down there and, and I, can, I can still see home, but I can see a lot farther. I just, I'm just wanting my son to come home. I know he's done wrong and he's, he's taken from me and he's, he's failed me. He's made mistakes and, and I, I know everything he's done, but I, just, I still love him and he, he's still a part of my family. He, he's taken his inheritance already, but I still love him so much. And I, I'm not going to be happy till he's found. I'm not going to be happy till he's home. And, and here one day, it finally comes. You see this, this smelly, life-ravaged young man. He's walking down the road, and, and life has taken his dignity and has taken his self-respect, and all of that is lost. And here he is. We find himself. Here he is. He makes that last turn. And what does he see? He doesn't see a father who's not there, a father who's unwilling, a father who doesn't love him, a father who's angry. He sees a man out there looking, and he's got his eyes shaded from the sun. He's looking for his son. He's saying, he's, he's saying, God, help me find my son. And when he arrives close to home, he finds that he doesn't have to go find the father, but rather that the father was already looking for him. The father has found him. He knew him, but he still loved him. Praise God. I want to tell somebody here today, if you've been far from God, if you feel like you've strayed too far, don't give up because Jesus still loves you. He knows everything about you, and he still loves you. You know, no doubt when this parable was told, the apostle Peter was present. I wonder if Peter remembered it later. In Mark chapter 16, the Bible says that Mary Magdalene and Salome and the mother of James, they come to Jesus' tomb where he's been buried to anoint the body of Jesus. And uh, you know the, the scripture says that Jesus has already risen, but an angel there who's clothed in white, he's just, just a wonderful angel. He says, he says, Jesus has risen. He's not in this tomb anymore. 
and he said, go and tell the disciples that Jesus is arisen and you're going to see him. But if you read these scriptures in Mark chapter 16, you're going to find it says, go tell the disciples and tell Peter also. The only disciple that was mentioned was Peter. Tell Peter also. There was a specific mention that Peter should know that he's going to get to see Jesus because you see it had just been a few days time since Peter had denied Jesus three times. It had just a few days had passed since Peter had betrayed him and said, I don't even know who he is. And and hallelujah, when the angel of the Lord made announcement that the Lord is going to return and they're going to see him again, he said, make sure Peter knows too, as if to say, Peter, he knows what you did, but he still loves you. He still he knows you denied him, but he still loves Peter, you got to know you're going to see Jesus again. I believe that when Peter got that word, that story of the prodigal came rushing back in his mind, and I believe he realized, I'm serving a powerful God. I'm serving a loving God today. Hallelujah. I want to tell somebody here today, Jesus knows you, and he still loves you. Amen. As I close today, I'd like to remind us of this story in the book of John chapter 4. And I'd like you just for a moment to imagine, if you will, what's taking place here. Just imagine a long, lonely road as a lone woman walks down the road for the well. She's walked out of the city of Sychar. And if you study this text very closely... Every detail that's given, you're going to find out that she's coming alone and she's coming at the hottest time of the day. She's carrying a water pot and and the, the idea is she's going to walk down to where the well is. She's going to draw water and it's going to be the water that she's going to use for that next day. That's going to be the water she's going to cook from, to bathe from. And historians say that likely when that water pot was filled it was going to weigh about 50 pounds. She's by herself getting ready to carry a pretty serious amount of weight and she's doing it at the worst possible time of day. See, I I want you to imagine as this woman is walking, there's a reason why she's doing it that way. There's a reason why she's choosing this odd time. Because most of the other ladies, they came early in the morning where the sun was low and the air was still cool and it was still pleasant. And they also went together to share the work. The long walk there, the work of drawing the water, the long walk back, they would do it together as a custom to share the work. But she couldn't do it then. She didn't want to do it then. And what we find out about her is that they probably don't want her doing it then either. Another little simple historical fact that may mean little, but I'll just share it anyway, is as she's walking, there's two large mountains in her horizon. Two tremendous mountains that are overlooking this area. One of the mountains is called Ebal and the other is called Gerizim. 
And those mountains are historical. They go all the way back to the early entrance of the Hebrews into Israel. Because it was these two mountains that Joshua, he sends a group up on one, Gerizim, and he says, shout blessing, and sends another on, on Ebal and says, shout cursing. Those two, those two mountains, they represent good and evil. They represent blessing and cursing. There's so much happening in this story. This is a woman underneath the shadow of history, posture between good and evil, walking toward a 2,000-year-old well that's still operational. And she's lonely and separated because of something about her. And we find that that something is she's had five husbands. We don't know. I mean, honestly, we don't know why she had five husbands. I don't know if they all just died of old age. I don't know if she poisoned them. We don't know. We don't know if she or they committed adultery and they put her away. We don't really know that. What we do know is that she had five. But the one she was with now wasn't her husband. Indicating that perhaps there was some truth to the reputation. She had a past. She had history. She had a reputation. And that reputation is why she's doing it the hard way. It's why she's struggling. It's why she's by herself. It's why she's at the worst time of day. Because she's avoiding question. She's avoiding scorn. She's avoiding criticism. And she's walking. We're looking at a woman who is literally, her history is dominating her destiny. The mistakes of her past are literally controlling her present. And as she walks down that road, she's expecting to see an empty well with no one there. Because nobody's going to the well and making that long walk in the hottest part of the day in the Middle East. Could have been 110 degrees. She's expecting to find that well empty, barren, and deserted like it always was and go through her chores lonely and isolated like she always had been. But on that day, when she rounds that last curve and she sees the well, there's a guy sitting there. The Bible says it. He sat down on the well and he waited. When, when she gets there, she sees a man sitting on the well, and the closer she gets, she is shocked and surprised because it's not just a man, it's a Jew. And you got to understand the backstory here. First of all, the Jews never came there. In order to get from Judea to Galilee, which is a straight walk north, the Jews wouldn't do it. They'd go east to the river follow the river up north, and then cross back over going miles and miles and miles out of the way because they were so prejudiced against the Samaritans that they would not allow the bottom of their feet to touch ground that they belonged to them. And she's shocked to even see that there's a Jew even in the vicinity. But what she doesn't know is that Jesus rose early that morning And no doubt he woke the disciples and said, I'm going to Galilee, 
but I'm going through Samaria. And the Bible says in John 4, I must need go through Samaria. And no doubt those other disciples, most of which were Jews, were like, what in the world? We're we about to get in trouble, y'all. You know, what, what's going on here? And Jesus said, this is what we're doing. They're like, why are we leaving so early? I've studied this, and I've studied the terrain, and I've, I've studied the, 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 the distance. And I, in my, in my uh, calculations, Jesus would have had to leave somewhere around 2.30 or 3 o'clock in the morning. In order to be at that well, at the time that she was going to be there, it wasn't an accident. No. It wasn't just a coincidental circumstance. But he got up before the chickens and the, and the roosters were up. He got up before the disciples were up. And he says, we're going somewhere. You're not going to like it, but we're going and we're going through Samaria. And he goes directly to that city and he gets there just in time and his plan has come together perfectly and he sits down on the well and guess what else he did? He told all the disciples to leave. Y'all go find lunch. When's the last time you sent 12 guys to get one lunch? I mean, even in the Bible days, it don't take that many. He gets rid of all of them. And by the time this woman comes, she thinks her day is just struggling through her past. She thinks her day is just going to be pushing through all of her history. And no doubt she's upset and no doubt she might even have some tears in her eyes because this is not the first day she's walked alone and been in struggle and been lonely and isolated because of her past and because of her mistakes. She has no idea that there's somebody who's going to be there and he's there on purpose and he's there for her. And as they begin to talk you read the scriptures she's like what are you doing here he says give me something to drink she says what how are you going to drink something you ain't even got a, a bucket to dip in this well he says you're going to give me some but I'm going to give you some living water she says how are you going to give me living water how, you don't even have a bucket he says I'm going to give you something that when you drink of it you are not ever going to thirst again what I'm going to give you it's going to breathe life into you it's going to change you she begins to argue they begin to debate she begins to get religious and start talking about doctrine and he begins to blow her mind and then he says where's your husband she said I, I, I don't have no husband he said I know you don't have no husband you said it right you've got five ex-husbands and the one you live with right now he's not your husband and she began to realize not only is he here to meet me but he already knows about me and I don't have time to go into all the story but the Bible says some point came that she dropped that water pot on the ground as if to say this ain't important anymore but what I was doing isn't important anymore more and she runs back to the city she goes back to the city and she begins to tell everybody in the city what's going on and this is what she said she didn't say there's a Jew at the well no she didn't say uh, he's, a, he's a great man of God she didn't even say which had been revealed to her that he's the Messiah she, she didn't say all the things they said, but when she goes to the men of that, the people of that city, here's what she said. Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. In other words, he knew all about me. Yes. But he still wanted to talk to me. He knew everything about me, but he still wanted. And you know what the Bible says? Something about that impressed them so much that the whole city came out 
if if a Jewish man whom they would find out was the Messiah, if the Messiah knew her and still loved her, then I got to go find him. The Bible says the whole city came out. And it repeats itself at the end of the chapter saying, they came because a man told her all that she ever did. And they came. The Bible, you'll, you'll learn from this scripture if you've studied the history that a great revival takes place there. Jesus spends several days there and years later disciples come back to hold revivals because there's a great church there now. There's thousands of people worshiping God there all because a man came to meet with somebody that nobody loved who was trapped with their past and their history was in, in, in control of their destiny and he came and he knew everything but he still loved them. Can I tell somebody here today there's a great revival that God wants to release in your life. There's people that God wants to reach through you and there's a work that he has for you and you might feel intimidated today because of mistakes that you've made and because of life that you might have lived before this but can I tell you he already knows all of that. He understands every bit of that. He knows more about it than even we do and he still loves you. Hallelujah. He wants the name of this church to be a mantra for your life. It's a lighthouse. Hallelujah. He wants you to be a light to shine on others. He knows everything about you. So I'm inviting someone today to stand where you are and maybe come down to this altar right now. Come down and talk to the Lord today. I want you to come down to the altar and open up your life to a man who knows everything you've ever done and he still loves you. Hallelujah. Your past doesn't have to control your present one day longer. Your history doesn't have to stand in the way of your destiny. One more moment. Hallelujah. Can we all stand in the sanctuary as they begin to play and sing? I want to encourage somebody. Just come down. Hallelujah. Just come down to the altar. Lift your hands to the Lord and be to talk to him right now lift your hands and say Jesus speak into my life Jesus oh bring me encourage me what do I need from you today hallelujah if you'll repent before the Lord he is going to touch you right now if you'll repent before the Lord the Bible says he wants to forgive you the words clearly say he is just and he is faithful to forgive we've all sinned the Bible said and we've all come short of his glory so there's nobody here in a better position than the others we're all sinners that want to be and need to be saved by the grace of God so where you're standing right now even in the aisle even in the pew and at the altar just lift up your voice and just speak to the Lord because he's hearing you right now He's hearing every word that you're saying and every thought that you're thinking right now. Just speak to him and say, Lord, you know everything I've done, but if you still love me, oh, help me to get my heart right with you. Oh, forgive me, Lord, of my sin. Forgive me of mistakes that I've made.